Let's just pray. Um, God, we just want to pray for attentive ears for the next few minutes, the next little bit of time. And just um, as we're talking about your word, we want your word to land in our hearts through the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that I fight against your word often, but I know that you've given me your spirit that indwells me. And Holy Spirit, I pray that for me and for each one of us, uh, your word would find its mark and um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are, um, uh, we are talking about the word. We, the theme this year, and, if, and um, we put this up a few times, and if you've been coming regularly, you're probably tired of seeing this. We'll come up with a new... Um, well, now that our um, graphic designers have finished all the welcome stuff, we'll get them to work on some um, stuff in here. But uh, this is what we've been doing this year, and it's actually been really good, not just to talk about it in church, but it's been really good to be able to talk about it in our life groups, uh, in, in all sorts of conversations, to just begin to look at uh, what are the traits of being mature disciples. If we want to be moving people in following Christ, if we want to be people that are disciples of Christ, mature disciples of Christ, what would it look like? But the cool thing is, it's not just what it would look like, but they're things that help us to actually grow in becoming more and more like that, in becoming more and more mature in an understanding. They're tools that help us. And they're things that, as we step into them, they actually help us grow. They take us to another level. And uh, we've wound ourselves around. We've done being part of a church family, and it's nice to, uh, to, to be reminded of that this morning. We've talked about praying selflessly, about uh, praying for others, but also being the answer to prayer yourself. We talked about sharing the gospel and, and what the gospel is and, and um, how we have that to share. We have that to give away. We talked about accountability, that Together we're a family and it's a warm place, but it's also a place where we grow each other and, and where we can be accountable to each other. And accountability kind of gives us that, you know, that little bit of a thrust to keep growing. Um, we talk about serving out of love, um, how we're called to serve not just um, each other and serve lunch to each other today, but we're called to serve the world, to serve the community and to serve the King of Kings, uh, first and foremost. And now we're on to Applies God's Word, and it's a great way to, to finish up. And Joel kicked us off with that um, last week. And um, we gave it the, um, the by the book. We called it, uh, we called this, these couple of weeks, by the book. And um, that was a little bit of um, graphic design in between by Joel, so nicely done. Um, and last week we looked at, you know, getting back to the source. That the book is actually, if you if you take this sixth one and you actually wind back around, and it's a source. It's the inspiration for all of those other things. It's where we, it's what we tap into, as what God's given us to help us to um, continue to grow into mature disciples. So it's a great place to finish. You know, and last week Joel talked about the word as being living, it's alive, that it's, a, that it's abiding, that it's actually good news, um, that it's hard news at times and it's different news and, and the disciples and, uh, recognized that. And, and, and last week Joel shared with us that, that profound moment where, where Peter says to, to Jesus, well, you know, where else will we go? You have the keys of eternal life, that the word is hard. But, and so we see that, that the word is, it has in, in back... Um, in those times, Jesus' words were, were encouraging, but they were also hard sometimes. And we understand and we see that in the Word as well. So if we're talking about becoming mature disciples, 
we're going to be mature disciples, then we need to read and use the Bible, don't we? We can't really do it without. The Bible is God's Word. It's, it's His message to help and guide us. And it does three primary things. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff that, that the Word does in our lives and, and in, the, in, the, in the body of Christ uh, and in the world. But there's three primary things. points us to our need for faith in Jesus Christ. It leads us to salvation and it helps us to live out that faith. So there's those three, you know, in, and um, as, as I was preparing this week, I was thinking, what if I, every time I, I read the Word or I spent some time in the Word, what if I just bounced those three questions around in my head? You know, how is this pointing to my need for faith in Jesus Christ? How is this leading me to salvation? And how is this helping me to live out my faith? Just a little thing at the start, that that's the Word um, and we're talking about the word being useful today. My sermon title, and we don't usually stick sermon titles up there, but the word is useful. You know, so it's really, it became really mechanical and sort of thought, wow, this is just going to be a super practical. But it really is. And what if you applied those sorts of questions? But then the question is, is it still useful? In a world, and Joel pointed to this last week, in a world of competing messages... You know, you just have to put, you know, switch your computer on. You just need to open a newspaper, turn the TV on. Um, and there is so many competing messages nowadays. You know, we have unprecedented access to resources of all kinds. You know, um, if I want to know something obscure, you know, years ago I would have to get out, you know, the Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, and, and every good home had them. Who had them on the bookshelf? Don't put your hand up. You did put your hand out, I saw that, you know. It had Encyclopedia Britannica and you had to go and look up stuff and you would, you would read about stuff. And Actually, I saw a joke this week, I have to tell it. It was online and I sent it to my wife. And there was a guy, there's a little, little, a little ad, you know, a little ad in a little classified ad. And the guy says, full set of Encyclopedia Britannica for sale. No longer needed, I got married, my wife knows everything. So... Um, <laughs> I thought it was funny anyway. Thank you for humouring me. But we have unprecedented... You know, I just need to click now. I don't need to go through encyclopedias. I just need to put the question into Google. And Google knows everything. How smart is Google? And it can be really obscure. It can be... You know, if I want to know the history of something in, in ancient Mesopotamia or what was happening in this biblical time or what were the, the other things, I just need to type it in and I can find it. Where in a world where we have unprecedented access to all kinds of resource. You know, we live in a time where we have this supposed wisdom. You know, we have revelations and discovery in science and technology. And there's a sense that we, we feel like we know human beings better now than we've ever known them. That we've evolved more. That it's time to, to leave, away, leave behind the old ways of thinking, you know, in, in areas of morality, sexuality, gender, and all of those debates. That it's time to leave the old behind. We're more enlightened now, aren't we? We, we feel like society says we are much better and more enlightened. And the way that the word leads us sometimes, and, and even the way that it sounds, can be a bit weird, even, even to us. We, you know... Have we lost how to use it? Have we lost how to understand it? Does it need a, a rework? Does it need an update? And so the question, you know, is, is the Bible still useful? Is, you know, is, is it still the tool that we would use 
to, um, to meet the needs of the world and even the needs in our own hearts? Can we still lean on it? Um, can we depend on it? Is it trustworthy? And if so, why and how? And that's where you see Paul's words to Timothy are, are really, really brilliant here. You know, he's about to send Timothy out to become an advocate for Jesus, for, for this Jesus, this new way, for the, 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 the early church. And an advocate, he was sending out Timothy, this young guy, out to be an advocate for the word, for the, for the word of God into the world of the day. And just for your information, the world of the day also had its challenges, its adversity and its opposition to the message. Paul had just talked about it in the preceding verses. And what he describes in, these, in the preceding verses um, could be applied to our world or our nation almost verbatim. I was reading through and you could almost apply this. Let me just read this to you and just think of Melbourne or Australia or our world, you know. And Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. And it goes on. Does that sound like our world? That sounds pretty much like the world that we live in now. How could Paul have known what Melbourne was going to be like back then? So he's about to send Timothy into this, this world, the, the same world that we're going to. And he, he's sending him in with the word, with the word of God. And he says, but then he goes, but Timothy, not you. Not so you. You, however, as for you, in verse 10 and verse 10, you, however, in verse 14, but as for you. I'm sending you out and in your toolbox, there's probably going to need to be a stack of stuff. If you're going to go out and, and lead people to Christ, you're going to be a testimony to the new way, to this kingdom that we've been talking about. You'll probably need quite a few things. But if there was one tool that, that isn't optional, if there was one thing that is the most important, the most useful of all, it's the word. That's true for us too. In a world that Paul has described and ours is the same, the word is still our most useful tool. You know, in these verses that we read in 10 to 17, or perhaps towards the end of that, Paul helps Timothy to see why it's the most important tool, how he can rely on it and, and how it is useful. And, um, you know, looking at the text, there's four things in there that I, I think Paul points to that, that help us understand the Word and, and that it is, and, and it is powerful, that it is useful and that it is um, dependable. And the first one is, what Paul points to, and number one is because of the character and testimony of those who taught you the truth. You see that he says it in verse 14, but as for you, you continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with it. 
So the first thing is why Timothy is the word good? Because of the character and the testimony of those who taught you the truth. And if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I've just put that verse up there for you, where Paul says in, in his introduction, introductory remarks to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. You see, um, Timothy's mother and grandmother um, were people that were of good character that led him into the world and, and word, and he saw and he experienced the character of, those, of, of his grandmother and mother. He saw the word working in their life. And as they taught him that, not just the words, but the fact that he saw it working in their life gave it value. Paul himself, in verse 10, he says... Um, you, however, f- have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So the character and testimony of his grandmother, his mother, of Paul himself, of the historic narrative, he'd probably heard the stories, witnesses to God's great work, stories of the great things God had done for his people. And he'd heard these stories from people of character. Ages as ages, stories that abided, the word had abided. And you know, Joel talked about that last week, how the word abides. You know, reliable testimonies are a, a valid source of true knowledge. The quality of the, witness, the witnesses increases the credibility of the testimony. And for Timothy, you know, Paul, he saw it work in Paul's life. He saw and he listened to Paul as he taught. For his grandparents, reliable his grandmother and his mother, reliable. And I wonder, have you, um, is there someone like that in your life? Is there, have you lived through or have you heard stories of the power of the word? Have you, are there people that you've really looked up to that you've actually seen the word at work? Where there have been people of character where you think, wow, you know, if it works for them, there must be something in that. It's, you know, who's, who's, who's got people like that or know people like that in their life? Anyone? You're allowed to put your hand up in this church. It's true, you know, and, and I have heard stories of that here. I've heard stories of people's mothers and, and grandmothers and people that they've, you know, you go to a, a funeral or something like that and, and you'll hear some wonderful stories of that sort of stuff. The character of people. Have you heard stories like that? Are there people in your life right now or perhaps in your history that have been a testimony to the word or where you've seen the word used really well? You know, this week um, there were stacks of stories. I don't know how many of you know Eugene Peterson. How many of you know Eugene Peterson? He, uh, he wrote the Message Bible and a stack of other stuff. And he died last weekend, I think it was. And this week there were so many people that, that wrote stories of not just that he wrote the message, and, but the character of his life. You know, this guy wrote a ton of books and he wrote the Message Bible and... Um, he would share, he would just, he lived in a cabin. He lived still, he still lived at the end of his life. He lived in the home that he grew up as a kid. Very unpretentious. Was by a lovely lake apparently. But very unpretentious. Never used his money. It turns out that he'd spent a lot of time with young people just sharing about the word and how powerful it was in his life. And then funding them to go on and study. Just releasing people to go on and study and that sort of stuff, you know. And people just want to share of how valuable the word is now because of the character of Eugene and people like that, you know, that kind of thing. And that's what it must have been like for Timothy. 
Why is the word important? Because of the character and testimony of those who taught you the truth. Reading books and listening to stories and relevant ones of power and useful, you know, that sort of stuff is really good. The second thing that I think that Paul talks about there is because of the power of the word. He talks to, he talks to Timothy about the power that's in the word and, and that that power is twofold. It's, it's, um, he talks about the power that's able to make you wise for salvation. So it opens your eyes, it opens the eyes of the hearer, the listener, the reader to be able to see grasp understand salvation but also that it brought you to christ the power of the word is to able to make you wise for salvation but it brings you it brought you to christ and it can do that for others as well and paul reminds timothy that the word gives a kind of wisdom that leads a person to salvation and someone said i read this little short quote the scriptures are unique in that they can drive folly away and impart wisdom let me say that again. The scriptures are unique in that they can push away, drive folly away, silliness away, and impart wisdom. How often have you felt like you wanted to be less dumb and smarter? Basically, that's what it says, right? You know, if you want to stop being silly, and if you want to be, you know, the scriptures have the power to drive away folly and impart wisdom, to open your eyes to wisdom. So Paul says, so Timothy, there's no truth like this one that has the power to change people by giving them wisdom. But also the word that scriptures led you to Christ, the word changed your life. It's true that you had people, a grandmother, a mother, Paul himself to show you, but the Holy Scriptures gave you a spiritual wisdom that ultimately led you to Christ. That the word has power. We often talk about that and it's kind of like, well, well, how, where, you know? And we've all had people show us and, and share the word with us. But the truth said in the word has power to save us and lead us to Christ. Testimonies are great examples. People of character are fantastic examples. You know, being challenged to read the word, um, being, seeing somebody who uses the word really well and thinking, wow, you know, I, I want to be able to understand it like that is great. But it doesn't work in isolation. And, and I think that's what Paul's saying. Timothy, you've had these wonderful examples and that's why the word's important. But here it is. In the word is the power of salvation. The testimonies don't work. Character doesn't work in isolation. It's the power of the word. The content, the, the, the word, the content or the word exposes to us the power of God's word. And I was thinking of an example of this and I remember years ago when we lived in, in the Netherlands um, either reading a book or hearing a testimony of a guy that was a drug addict in, um, <coughs> in um, Amsterdam. And, you know, in those days the Gideons dropped Bibles into, into every motel as they still do. I don't know if you've ever been to a motel and pulled open the bed drawers, there'll be a Bible in there, right? Um, but they also, in some of the big cities and together with the Salvation Army, they often um, gave out Bibles in Amsterdam to the street people um, in Amsterdam. And, they, and um, you know, they would have a mixed reaction. I often thought to myself, wow, that's a tough gig. I don't know whether I'd like to. Oh, he's a Bible. You know, and there's a testimony one guy told of um, smoking dope and um, how he took the Bible because he thought it was good paper for rolling his joints. And it was, you know, those Gideon's Bibles have that really, you know. 
And so he was using it, and he said, I was using it. He said, oh, well, I might as well. I was using it for rolling joints. And, but one night, he was particularly down, and he was about to tear out one page and read the words, and I can't remember the scripture. He's now a Christian. He's now a follower of Christ. Yeah, just because he read something, and all of a sudden he said, I can't explain it. I read something. It's like something powerful hit me in the word, you know. That's what Paul's talking about to Timothy. That's the power of the word. You know, it, the, the word has power. And it's because it's, you know, it's because of the next point. Because the third point is because the word is God. And Paul says this, because the word is God breathed and it carries the mark of divine holiness. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? The word is God breathed and carries the mark of divine holiness. And in Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That sounds pretty powerful. The word is God-breathed. It's different. What does that mean? It's different than other books. We would use the term the word is living, and, and, and Hebrews uses that. You know, again, last week Joel talked about the word being alive, about living, that in 1 Peter 1 verse 23, um, Peter talks about the, the word being living and abiding, that, that somehow it lives. It's not just words printed on paper. And um, Paul wants Timothy to understand that, that the word is God-breathed. It's, it's good books are words on paper. Good, edifying, encouraging books that help you grow are words on paper. But there is a difference. And we use the word inspired, that the word of God is inspired. Not like an inspired piece of music or art, but breathed out by God so as to make it God's own words to us. And, you know, um, there's this picture that it creates, a, uh, and commentators create this picture. It's as if God reached down and, and, and takes the hand of the writer and writes what he wants to say. As if God took the pen and wrote using the hand of the writer. And you know, that's the hint. That's where this power, in our, in our second point, that's where the power comes from because it's God breathed. It's an inspired word of God. We understand that, that God inspired. And, you know, this always raises a question. I don't know how many of you have had, you know, and I've had often questions. So, how did they figure out that these were the inspired bits? Anyone ever wondered that or anyone ever had that question asked? How did they figure out that these 66 books were the inspired bits? And, you know, the Catholics have some other books and other people have good had How did they work that out? And that would be another sermon for another day. But I'm going to digress for a minute because I think it's helpful. And here's where we have that discussion. You know, how did the 66 books come to be? It was called a time, it was called canon. A time, it was, they call it the canon. And, you know, they, they got together with um, men in history and they sat down. And it wasn't just a weekend retreat, guys. You know, it wasn't just, let's just knock this over by Sunday lunchtime. You know, we'll start Friday night. This was canon went over some years of learned men doing this and looking and evaluating and praying over everything that was submitted, if you like, I want to use that term. It was long and complicated. But here, just for you quickly, and one day we can talk about this a little bit more, here's the five main areas in which they used to evaluate, should, is it inspired? Should this be a part of the Word of God or not? First one was, was the book written by a prophet of God himself? Yeah, um, and 
I've just got them up there so you can note them down if you want to. If it was written by a spokesperson or spokesman uh, of God, then it was the Word of God. So you've got the early prophetic writings. If it was written by a prophet of God, then it was included. Second, was the book confirmed by acts of God? So were the words, was, was, was that backed up by, by the acts of God? Like often that was miracles that separated the true prophets from the false prophets. Um, examples of true prophets would be people like Moses, Elijah, Je- um, Jesus himself. And miracles by definition are acts of God to confirm the word of God. And so they're substantiated by the message of God. So the words confirmed by acts of God. And the third thing they ask is, did its message tell the truth about God? Was it a good representation of who God was? Was it accurate? Church fathers maintain this policy, if in doubt, throw it out. If there was any doubt at all that it was accurately um, uh, giving an accurate reflection of God, they threw it out. And this policy enhanced the validity of the discernment. The fourth one, did it come with the power of God? And this is interesting to me. The early church leaders believed the word of God was alive and active. They knew that then, as it remains today. And so it should be and it would be a uh, transforming force for evangelism, for edification. In other words, if the message of book didn't have the power to change a person, then God was apparently not behind the message. And I'd love to get in the minds of those people how they figure that out and what stories they heard and that sort of stuff. But did it come with the power of God? And then the fifth one, was it accepted by the people of God at the time? When a book was received, collected, read and used by the people of God, it was regarded as canonical. And so there's this sense where, um, and and my sceptical self always says, but they were humans too. You know, and that's why faith is so important. And that's why I go back to sort of saying, you know, even that guy in Amsterdam, when you read the word, when you see that the word has the power to actually change someone just in itself, then we know that God is moving in it. So it is an important tool and it's very useful because it's God-breathed, God's own words, not a second-hand set of words or thoughts. I know there are other reliable things. You know, um, it's not... um, it's not bad to read some of the other books that are added to some of like the, the Catholic Bible that they call the Apocrypha, different books. There are some great texts by a man named Josephus who was very close to the times, but the things that he wrote did not make it into canon. But there's still good stuff in there and it's, still not to, it's just not inspired by God or considered inspired. And the fourth one is to what I think Paul is, is talking about, he's saying to Timothy, and is because it's useful. And Paul gets really practical in it. He says it's just, it's all that. It's the character of the testimony. It's the power to, to salvation. It's, it's God-breathed. But Timothy, it's useful. It's just good and useful. You know, in verses um, 16 and 17 in the NLT, read like this, Can I, you know, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives, correct us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right, and God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And Paul says, you know, ultimately, Timothy, you're going to need that because it's just going to be useful for the kind of things you're going to encounter, the people you're going to encounter, the goals you have, the, the way you want to bring the Word into their life. Someone else said it like this, and... I just thought I'd pop this up there as well. 
And the word is profitable for teaching what is right, for reproof what is not right, for correction how to get right, and for instruction how to stay right. Now, don't we all want that in every area of our life? I mean, if you're in business or if you uh, are setting study goals, you want to understand what, you know, in, in anything what's right, what's not right, and how do I fix it, how, how, and how do I get it right, and how do I keep it right. And Paul says, you know, that's what the Word does for us. That's why it's useful. It's useful, helps us to see what's right, it reveals to us perhaps in our life what isn't right, shows us how to get it right, and then it shows us how to stay on track to keep it right. I love that. Terribly practical, super God-inspired, but terribly practical. So all of these four things that Paul talks about to Timothy, the Bible actually performs on us to help you properly believe and behave and will help you become the right kind of Christian. So the Word not only helps you to know Christianity, but also how to live it out. And then we get to the why, don't we? And that's what I love. You know, Paul often does that. And, and I like that because I, I want to know when I'm reading something why. You know, um, most mothers of five-year-olds are a bit tired of that word. But basically, we walk through life asking why, don't we? Um, and Paul says, right at the end, so that. Here's what Paul wants most for Timothy. Verse 17, isn't it? Verse 17, where we go. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If Timothy will keep the word central, if he gives it its place and, 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 and gives it authority in his life, if he recognizes the unique and divine power it has in his life and the power that can have and, and will have in others' lives, if he engages that advantage, if he takes the profit of using it in his life and ministry, then it will lead to being complete and being equipped for the work and the life that he's called to. It's no big stretch um, for us to be able to apply this sort of stuff. It's no big stretch for us to go back and apply those, sorts, those, those four things to ourselves. You know, do we have people of character? Have we seen good testimonies of the Word? Do we, you know, is, have, have we experienced that the Word has, has showed us what salvation looks like and, and has led us to Christ, has, has opened the door to Christ to ourselves? You know, have we understood that it's the inspired Word of God, that it has power in our lives and has it taught us what's right and what's showed us what's not right, helped us to figure out how to get it right and how to keep it right. It's no stretch for us. If we, like at the end of this, it, it, verse 17, if we also want to be complete, if we want to be equipped for every good work, for, uh, for the things that God has for us, then these are really good things. This is, that the Word is useful for us. Like Timothy, we're reminded of the important part it's played and, and needs to play in our lives. And how its work is, is supernatural. You know, the, the word is, is supernatural and yet, Paul helps Timothy see it's just also very natural. So it's supernatural, but it's very naturally useful. It comes, it completes us and equips us. You know, next week, 
we're going to be talking again about the Word, and I want to go a bit further, more practically. It's sort of, well, how does it guide us? Um, is it still relevant? Does it, does it, does it speak to us today? Um, we want to look at that it still teaches and trains us, even for the, for the modern things we encounter, the modern challenges. It still corrects us, but how it's useful, how we can use it in leading others to Christ. And how it points to Jesus next week. We want to look at how the Bible, the Word, always points us to Jesus. Always helps us to fix our eyes. You know, the psalmist prayed in, in, in Psalm 121 where he says, You know, I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? You know, he knew, the psalmist knew that I've got to look to God. Well, the whole Word, everything the Word points us to Jesus, helps us to, to see who Jesus is. And we'll talk about that. But that last point is a great way to finish this morning, isn't it? Why does the Word make us complete? Why did it make Timothy, the man of God, complete? Why does it make us complete? Because it shows us who Jesus is. And He made us complete, didn't He? It brought us to Christ. It brings us to Him again and again. Salvation is once. We understand that. We know that um, we're saved. Justification is once. But the word that led us to salvation also reminds us of our salvation daily, every time we open it. And that's what makes us complete as we embrace it. That's what makes the word rise far above any other books, good books you can read, historical accounts, enlightened stories, great people, because it reveals to us the risen Christ. And more than that, that in his victory over death, he took us with him so that we could be complete that's what completes us the word just shows us who the man is who made us complete the word is powerful to expose who jesus is to show us who jesus is to help us to understand that until we allow the word in until we allowed jesus in we weren't complete and Timothy goes out and, you know, I'm sure he probably stumbled a bit and uh, had his challenges and had to deal with all the things that we see in, the f- in that first part of chapter 3. But Paul truly believed that the word was going to be useful for him and it would make him complete, but it would equip him. I want to be equipped. You know, I love having Google. I do. I love being able to find out information. But my prayer is that I, that we, would be equipped with the Word so that when we share it with people, God does His amazing work through it. Changes, convicts hearts, grows them. Whether there's some guy in Amsterdam rolling a joint or sitting in a McDonald's cafe just talking about something that's happening at university, it doesn't matter. The Word is powerful to reach into all kinds of situations. It is useful. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for your word and again, just want to recognize the gift that we've been given in the word. And I confess, Lord, and even doing this and going through this process, it's, Lord, I, I realize that I've, I've not given your word its place in my life. Um, even in times when I've read it, it's become words on paper that I've read or I've looked for specific things or making it fix a problem that I'm uh, experiencing 
But Lord, I pray that our hearts would be softened so that the word would, would come in. The word would soften our hearts, would change our hearts, would reveal to us, Jesus, who you are. Um, a new every day, a fresh every day. I pray that uh, there would be this process where we understand that you make us complete, that your word completes us and that it equips us. Lord, it not just equips us for evangelism or sharing with someone in Cavell on a Tuesday night or um, a, a God conversation, but it equips us to do work, to study, to run our business, to make decisions, to lead our families, to plan our futures, to grow our relationships, that we would be equipped by your word in all of those ways. Lord, I'm guilty of keeping it in your religious sphere a lot of the time, but Lord, I pray that you would show me, show us, how the word is useful in all the areas of my life, that it changes me, that it led me to salvation, that it led me to you, Jesus, and that it can do the same to many, many others. God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you um, for all that it means. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that it would land in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.